Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome back to Pixels. This is a show where we cover the video gaming news from the past couple of weeks. My name is Patrick Beja and today I'm joined by Jake Wesson, also known as Spaz from uh, Reigns of Azeroth. How's it going, sir? You're in Australia. So yes, d- should I? G'day. I don't know. Is, yeah, there you go. G'day. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You know where I know G'day is Australian from? Where? If from Overwatch, Junkrat says, G'day, mate! And yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. It, it's my one of my favorite hellos from, like, everyone in the game. So Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. And uh, so it's good that you're here uh, because we're going to be talking about World of Warcraft Legion, which came out a few days ago. And uh, we're going to be doing that at the end of the show. So if you're not interested in World of Warcraft, you don't have to to listen to that. Uh, but certainly, I am very interested. <laughs> I've been playing nonstop for a few days, and I'm guessing you've been playing a little bit as well. Just a little bit. Have you hit 110? No, I, I just hit 109, uh, and then I uh, had to come and do the show. Which I hit 108 uh, this morning. Mm. So, so. We'll, we'll be talking about our experience. Uh, we've, we've experienced a good chunk of the leveling content, and uh, we'll talk about uh, how we feel about that, uh, that expansion at the end of the show. But first, a bunch of news stories. Uh, the first one being that uh, No Man's Sky, which we talked about, and I guess the entire industry has been talk to, talking about at length for the past few weeks, is, um, I, I wouldn't say seeing a backlash, not more than it had in the beginning with the big questions of how deep the game is, but uh, apparently a a lot of big uh, outlets are issuing full refunds, even though in in, uh, contradiction or defiance of their established policies, like Steam is offering refunds to No Man's Sky, even if you have uh, played beyond the two-hour limit, that they usually, you know, you have to have played less than a couple of hours to be able to get a refund. And Sony is doing refunds. Amazon is doing refunds. What is, is that actually a big deal? I know you wanted to talk about it, Jake. Um, well, the thing is, I, the few a couple of stories that I've seen on it, um, people were just kind of using this as a ha-ha, stick it to the developer kind of thing. Like... Okay, if you actually want a refund, you have to go to where you bought it. Don't use the automated system like on Steam. You have to actually put in a ticket. And if you tell them, like, 
this specific set of bullet points, then they'll give you a refund. Like people have kind of min-maxed it to be like, if you say not what I, you know, false promises, not what I expected, the game doesn't run well, blah, 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 then they'll give you a refund. And it's kind of gone across the internet for people being like, do it now, get a refund because who cares? Mm. Like, so it's it, supposedly you can't just call them and say, hey, I don't like the game. It's supposed to be sort of dishonest practices in that, you know, the game isn't what I was promised when I when I purchased it. Uh, and I'm sure some people actually I, I you were mentioning you saw uh, a few people bragging that they have played however many tens of hours and still got a refund. Which... Yeah, some people who had like taken like screenshots of their Steam thing saying, you know, played 70, 70, 80, 60, like between 40 and like 80 to 80 hours of the game. And they're like, haha, I still got a refund. Mm. Yeah, Which, I mean, pff, I don't. But Steam already has cracked down on it. So because at first they were giving out the refunds, but now they're like, if you've played more than, you know, 10 five to ten hours of it, then they're just straight up not going to give you a refund. Okay, like, they're, so they're it's really a case-by-case case basis, basically. Yeah. Does it mean that it's No Man's Sky's in trouble? I I honestly, I don't know, but um, I enjoy it. I enjoy No Man's Sky. Like, between when No Man's Sky came out and the release of Legion, I was playing No Man's Sky for about three hours a night. Right. Just watching youtube videos and then half playing no man's sky because <laughs> yeah because when, it doesn't demand so much of your attention i guess yeah when you get to the point like games like minecraft when you can get to the point where you can basically play it with your eyes closed it's a really good game to unwind with it's the same with no man's sky once i knew you know once i knew what was what what was carbon what was peridium what was this what was that you know and and what bits and pieces i needed for my ship and i knew them off off the top of my head and didn't have to think about it it became kind of a passive game and you know i think at one point i walked almost halfway around a planet looking for one animal that i still had to scan right and i think i spent like i think i spent like three full days on that planet just trying (laughs) to find the damn thing and yeah yeah. sorry go ahead it's just like i want to platinum the game on um, my PS4, like get all the trophies for it. Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through. Uh, the only ones I don't have are like survive on an extreme planet because I haven't come across any extreme planets yet. Um, you know, make X number of warp jumps because I haven't actually warp jumped that many times. Right. And so I catalog get- all the um, animals on one planet, which I know is going to be the most time consuming. So. So I guess what you're saying is the game is fun for you and I'm sure it's very fun for some people. I don't see that, you know, refunds, a lot of people having uh, uh, a lot of companies issuing refunds for No Man's Sky. I don't see it really as, you know, more than trying to appease a few people that say they're very angry and maybe some of them will manage to be like to beat the the system and, and to, you know stick it to the man and ha ha I played however many hours or that game sucked and I didn't want it anyway or it's going to be a yeah. few people I don't think this is the kind of thing where 
you know, we've seen a few uh, instances of games that really did get a bad rap. I think this is more the community coming to terms with what they had built the game uh, to be in their mind and a yes. few of them realizing that's not what it is. So, you know, yeah. yeah. And I think like the, the mass of people getting the refunds is also giving a little bit of fuel to the people in the community like that are making videos on basically No Man's Sky is horrible. No Man's Sky yeah. sucks. This, that, the other thing. And now they have an extra thing to throw on the fire and be like, and everyone's returning it right, right, because right. it sucks. Like yeah. it's just an extra thing for them, which mm. meh. Yeah, which meh is exactly my reaction. <laughs> um, well, I enjoy then- it. Sorry. End of that. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy it. I think, and and I think you're not alone. I mean, definitely there are lots of people who do enjoy it. And it's fine if you don't. I mean, I played it a little bit. It wasn't my thing. And uh, I think a lot of, for some reason, this game specifically uh, woke, uh, awoke a lot of the people's feelings that if they don't like something, it's not enough that they don't like it they have to convince everyone else that they shouldn't like it either for some reason i don't know why you know the internet and people work like this but yeah it's it it's fine we all love different things and that's okay um zenimax talking about sticking it sticking it to the man zenimax is now claiming that basically john carmack when he left id software uh took with him the technology that he had been developing on zenimax's payroll and that's what made the oculus rift what it is today basically they're uh suing oculus and of course, uh, at the same time, suing Facebook, uh, since, I mean, Oculus is a company owned by Facebook now, um, and claiming that really the Oculus was kind of crappy little prototype that couldn't do anything before uh, John Carmack went to them. And Carmack has been very vocal for many years about the fact that it's time. It, the time for VR had come again. Uh, a few years ago, he was saying this very publicly. So it's it's very possible that he did um, start working on VR at id Software. And uh, now, it did the, the way they claim it, the way ZeniMax talks about it, it's really like the Oculus was crappy. And when uh, Carmack went there, all of a sudden, it became amazing, an amazing machine. And that's all because of our technology. And I guess I skipped over it. But if you don't remember, Carmack left id Software owned by ZeniMax, uh, to go to uh, Rift to help develop the Oculus. And Carmack is obviously a legendary game designer and what he says many people listen to. Um, so yeah, it seems a little bit, for lack of a better term, I, I'm going to say exaggerated by ZeniMax, yeah. that account. But, um, um, it, when he was working there, was it a small side project that he had that they ale- they allowed him to use like company resources for or like i i'm not exactly sure like how did how much did he do at at the original company before he moved that's the big question isn't it uh, i guess yeah. there are there are a couple of questions. How much did he do there? It seems fairly certain that he was working on something. I mean, not fair. Well, apparently, from what they're claiming, at least he was working on something related to VR, probably a VR headset when he was there. Certainly, if he was, it was on Zenimax's payroll. Now, 
I guess it's really hard to 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 decide what you believe because if I guess if he took the technical documentation uh, that he had been working on, if he he got a bunch of working documents and emails and a bunch of things with him, that is actually theft, right? It, it, you sh- you yeah. are not allowed to do that, and that's what they claim uh, he did. If he just worked on it and developed a bunch of things that weren't patented, patented uh, and he just went there and applied that knowledge to the Oculus Rift and improved it, I'm pretty sure it wasn't as crappy as they're describing it. Um, but still, maybe he did improve it in some ways. Then I'm not, I'm guess, I'm not a, a lawyer, but I'm guessing that's okay if the technology wasn't patented. Patent, can't say the word. Patented? So I guess the big question is, did he go to Oculus with documents? Yeah, that, that's the question. I mean, when it comes to, say, if he was an artist and he's working on one game and then in his spare time, like, say, when he's not busy, like, say, just during work hours, he's also sketching a couple of other things. And it's like, these things will probably never get used in our game, but I'm sketching them anyway. If he then saves that on a USB drive and then puts that in his pocket and then goes to another company and he's like, oh, I've got some stuff that you guys might really like because it totally works with what you guys are doing elsewhere. Is that also the same thing, like theft of ideas? Because he's, I mean, that's technically if he came up with those things. So it's not exactly a great analogy, but... Yeah. No, I think it, it comes down... I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer, but um, I think it comes down to whether or not he actually did it on company's time um, and even, I mean, if he did, I'm pretty sure that supposedly whatever he did belongs to the company that pays him. Uh, and that is super difficult to prove. And it's it's really, it, it might even go down to the level of where were you doing it during your break time, like during lunch hour where you're not yeah. paid by the company, you know, that kind of thing, if it was yeah. that specific. Um, in this case, though, it was what they're claiming is very clearly that he was paid by id by zenimax to design a a vr headset so it was Hmm. actually that kind of thing so yeah i don't know it seems to me like they're really like exaggerating their claims for yeah yeah even you know even if it doesn't go to trial just so that oculus slash facebook settles it as a nuisance claim um, maybe yeah. they're going to get a few a few millions out of this. I don't maybe. know. Yeah, but well, uh, actually, here's here's a question for you. Say they're working on the original product, and the cable is coming out. Say the left hand side of the device, and he says, "Why don't we put it up the top so that it runs over the head of the person?" And they say, "No, that's a stupid idea. Scrap it. Never talk about it again." Then when he jumps ship, and he's like, "Well, we could put it over the top." And they say, that's a great idea. Is that still <laughs> theft of ideas? If, if it's something a... he designs and they shut it down and they're like, no, we don't want to do that. But then he takes that elsewhere and is like, let's I try s- this. And then they yeah. say yes. I suspect like, um, whatever. Well, in this, when you put it like that, it's just, it. you know, it's a very non-technical thing. So I'm sure anyone could think of putting it on the... But I get what you mean. It's like if he had a specific technical idea... 
I think that in order for him to be able to use these kinds of things, in order to be, you know, legally cleared, I think you would have to have a document that releases you, that releases you, your idea. And, and ZeniMax says, no, we don't want it. You can use it elsewhere, which of course they would never do. So if it's something a little bit more technical than just, you know, where to place the cable, uh, I don't think he could, if he did develop it at ZeniMax, I don't think he can use it, period. It It is owned. Although, I mean, it depends how obvious the thing is. Uh, clearly, there were some things that weren't patented, patented, <laughs> patented, um, at Zenimax, otherwise they would they would put forward the the patent pending the patent applications. Um, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure. But um, I guess we'll we'll. This is not the last we've heard of this. But uh, yeah. Well, speaking of patent and turning that you. into the word patent, uh, the Nintendo Direct uh, Yoshi's Woolly World is is going to be on 3ds. Wait, patent, I know I know that's pat- a stretch patent? of this. No, I didn't get YouTube. it. Pat. Pattern, as in like a pattern that you would use to make a plush thing. Oh, right. Pattern. I get yes. it now. Yes. It was a stretch. Yeah, no, no, stretch. no. It was good. It was good. I, I'm the one who didn't get it. Um, all right. So Yoshi's Wooly World pattern, um, the, the pattern world of uh, Yoshi's Wool is going to be on 3DS. And that is one of the things we heard from uh, the Nintendo Direct, uh, which was basically... <laughs> The subtitle of that Nintendo Direct from yesterday could be, hey, uh, the Wii U is over, so we're going to put stuff from the Wii U on the 3DS and hope that (laughs) that development time can be used in more uh, valuable products for us. Uh, Basically, Yoshi's Woolly World, as you said, uh, Super Mario Maker are coming to 3DS, uh, somewhat different versions, but still. There's also a Mario Sports Superstars, which is five sports. Um, They insisted a lot on the fact that uh, they are fully-fledged sport experiences. It's not like mini-games. It's like football, tennis, golf, uh, horse riding and another one i think uh, that's going to be coming in in spring and then pikmin is coming to the 3ds in 2017 but that's not the regular pikmin that's the um the, the that's a side scrolling action version of the pikmin franchise so yay i guess do you have a 3ds yes do you I'm play waiting. your 3ds <laughs> um I go between my 3DS and my PS Vita. I'm one of the few people that actually plays Me too. with a Vita. I, well, yes. okay. I have a Vita. I haven't been playing with it for a while, but I do have one. Yeah. So that counts for something. Yeah. Like, um, a lot of the handheld games, it's just really nice that they're putting more things on handheld. And this is kind of a distraction. Like, quick, look over here while we quickly fix the NX yeah. Look, no, no, no. Look, look over here. 3ds, 3ds. <laughs> Come on, finish the NX. Like That's... it's just a, just a distraction method. But it, they're still games. They'll still be good, and it'll just help tide people over till the NX is is launched. So that's that's a question I have actually. They mentioned that uh, Mario Sports is going to be coming to the 3DS next spring. 
Um, and the NX is also supposed to be launching next spring. And Pikmin is coming in, in 2017, which brings me to the question how much we've all heard the the rumors of uh the nx being a portable uh a portable console hybrid that you can also use in your uh living room but how much of a portable console is it if they're still developing lots of things i i sort of had this image in my head which i guess is wrong that they would merge everything on the nx and that everything else would be forgotten but they still have many millions of 3ds's in the wild so they're not going to stop developing for the nx uh for the 3ds from one day to the next it's got to take a while until the nx is has a fully uh viable install base so i guess i answered my own question that's That, that's the big point, the install base. Um, there are so many versions of the DS out there, 3DS, DS, 2DS, all, all in between, um, that a parent is probably happier to buy a new game on the 3DS for their child than buy an NX and then be like, well, it, it can be in the living room, but they can also take it with them. But if they lose it or if they break it, then it's not going to work in the living room. Like... Yeah, uh, and, and it's I, also I guess more I'll just get a new game for their 3DS. Yeah, that yeah. as well, buying a whole new console. So until they see a definite everyone's thrown their DS in the bin moment of some <laughs> kind, um, they're not going to stop letting that letting the 3DS print money for them, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it makes so, sense. Sony, sure. stopped, Sony stopped the Vita because no one was buying games, basically. Like, they stopped making the new versions and that, but there are still games for it. It's just nowhere near as big as, you know, yeah. a 3DS is. <laughs> Anything else, basically. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I guess 3DS games is good. It's not, uh, with the world excited for the 3DS, uh, uh, for, I'm sorry, for the NX, I guess it's a little bit underwhelming to hear about 3DS games, but it's, it's, it's good. And um, I, my guess is that we'll hear about the NX sometime in September, uh, maybe even around the, um, the, the Tokyo Game Show which is happening on the 16th i think uh, of september uh, maybe around that that would be that would be cool i at this point i really just want to know exactly what it is from nintendo yeah. itself so and if it is portable i'm really hoping that it just transfers all my street data street pass data straight across that, like all that the puzzle pieces good, yeah. and all that info because if it's portable then i don't want to carry both of them on me <laughs> yeah for to sure to mean- people Because for a while I had two 3DSs because um, I got a new one and I still had my old one and I was just carrying them both around so I could get <laughs> twice as many puzzle pieces and stuff. You're uh, hardcore, man. Um, but yeah no i mean i really hope that they have they they are working towards a unified uh you know account thing but even with the new system it was ridiculous how i i didn't manage to log into like there's a nintendo account and then the 3ds thing and i mean there's like two or three different types of accounts that you can have and they're linked together but it's super confusing super confusing yeah i think when the nx comes out It's going to be one of two things. It's going to ride a very fine line of it works or it's going to be, oh gosh, when is the NX2 (laughs) that makes this so much better? Because Nintendo takes huge leaps with their technology and the same with like, you know, uh, VR. The first round of VR years ago was not good. 
and people knew it was not good, but people look to the future and they're like, when they come back to VR, it's going to be so much better. And it's the same with the the very first model of the Oculus, the dev kit. Everyone was just like, it works, but oh my God, it makes me sick. The pixel density yeah. is not great. There's, you know, all this thing wrong with it. And then the Oculus and the Vive are coming out and people are like, this is what we wanted. So the NX is either going to ride the line of it works or it's junk and let's get, let's get version two happening mm. now. Yeah. So I really hope happened. they manage to, to, to make it from the first, whatever it is from the first, uh, uh, th- their first try, because I don't think they can afford many more mis- missteps uh, like the Wii U. So yeah. I guess we'll have well, to wait and see. Have you heard, I, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but I have a theory about the Wii and the Wii U, like the naming conventions, because originally the Wii was a game, was a console for everyone to play, as in Wii, we'll play it together. Yeah. And then people wanted more hardcore games on it, and it wasn't built for it. And so they were like, all right, the Wii U, because we can play it, but it's focusing mainly on you. And people are like, but now we want games we, we can play with everybody else. <laughs> and so it was, was kind of, yeah. if they'd done it the other way around somehow, it, who knows? It would have been, well, the Wii was a massive success anyway, but it, it could have been even bigger. I, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the Wii U was definitely focused on, that was what the tablet was about, the stupid little tablet. But um, yeah, it was, uh, for me, it was more of a response to the tablet craze of the early 2010s, which uh, I mentioned this sometimes on the show, everyone had tablet components to their games. If you remember, the um, the Division demo that we had a few years ago focused uh, a good part of the demo showing that anyone could join from their tablet and play with everyone else. And of course, the tablet feature was absent uh, from the launch. So I think it was Nintendo jumping on a, uh, you know, the second screen experience in a way that wasn't core to the their uh to their to the gaming experience to be honest in a similar way to what the Wii did with the motion gaming it was a huge hit but it wasn't a huge a huge hit with with gamers um yeah. it was a big hit with very very casual gamers who weren't you know just people who would use it a couple of times so I, I I even I know this isn't popular, but I have an argument that Nintendo's hardware innovations are n- not successful and are not their strength. Um, I would argue that the Wii U definitely wasn't one. The Wii it wasn't a one for for gaming. It was one for entertainment. And again, this is yeah. something that people use a couple of times. The 3DS and the DS, my argument is that all of the games that are really... Well, maybe not all, but a large majority of the games that are successful on DS aren't successful because of the two screens. Again, the 3D part of it, everyone would agree it's really not needed. But even the two screens part of it, it's... Absolutely. I mean, some games were designs were designed with two screens, so they make use of it. And there are good games that make use of those two screens, but I don't think they're good because of the two screens. They're good because they're good games. Uh, they just happen yeah. to be using the two screens. So basically, my argument is Nintendo is good at game design, not at hardware innovations. The only one yeah. that is un- indubitably, indoubtably, indoubtably, um, <laughs> a, a, a huge improvement 
was the uh, analog stick on the Nintendo 64. And that was obviously added to every console. If, if Maybe people don't remember, but the PlayStation, the, the iconic PlayStation controller um, with the two thumbsticks initially didn't have them. The original PlayStation controller did not have the analog controllers. That, was, that arrived with uh, the Nintendo 64. So anyway, bottom line, my argument is that the only actual gaming innovation in hardware that Nintendo ever did successfully, and again, there are caveats around that successfully, is the analog stick. The other yep. ones, DS, 3DS, uh, Wii, Wii U, are gimmicks. And they don't... Yes. Yeah. But when they go for a gimmick, they swing for the fences. That's for sure. And... When I just thinking about it, then the tablet Wii U, like the tablet, that to me kind of looks like a half step between um, between the tablet craze and VR, because you had to actually for some games you had to use it as a like as if you were looking through it and you had to look around the room and stuff, and it was it, it was kind of aug- more augmented reality, but it was more virtual reality because it didn't really use the the room you were in kind of thing. Um, and so it seems like a half step between the two, but that's just my thinking. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, it, to me, it, it seems like something that didn't have a lot of deep foresight. It was kind of a, oh, crap, the Wii is too, it, you know, it's we need to do something new now and let's do this. And they didn't really think very deeply about what they could do with this feature and they just went with what what was kind of popular because the second screen at the time people were you know watching tv with a a tablet on their lap or with a phone on their in their hand and they still are but it, it was new at the time and it seemed like a threat to the gaming experience and so they figured well they want a tablet on their lap we'll give them one and it it wasn't well thought out but uh Anyway, all right, let's let's move on um to Pokemon Go, uh, which apparently has peaked. And I was I said a few times that I didn't think Pokemon was going to be the AR revolution or even, you know, the the revolution that some people thought it was a, a summer craze. Uh certainly it's it's it was a very successful craze. I would be very curious to see how many people still play Pokemon now. And uh I'm pretty sure it's not it's a small fraction of the people who downloaded it. But um, at least, I mean, according to analysts, and we all know how they're always right, uh, the game has peaked. It went from a, a high of 45 million players to 30, uh, 30 million in the middle of August. I would suspect it went back down significantly from that uh, now that we're in September. But I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. I think it's more, I, I think the other thing is probably in the same way when you're leveling in any game, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I need a little bit of XP, a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh God, now I need like a million to level <laughs> up once. And it's like that moment for a lot of people is like, you know, I'm not even going to bother. That means I have to catch like 500,000 Pokemon. How am I going to do that in a reasonable amount of time? Um, and it's just, it's just one of those things. It happens. People stop playing because, you know, they're sick of taking their phones out all the time. I mean, 
I look at it occasionally every now and then. Um, when I went to Melbourne for the Legion launch, I actually managed to catch a Kangaskhan and a Blastoise in the airport before I left. And it only crossed my mind to, to take my phone out and check Pokemon Go because I'm like, you know what? I'm at the airport. I've never, I've never even bothered looking. Like I've haven't been to the airport in a few, in a a good long while. We'll see if there's any Pokemon around. Like I just mm. happened to think about it. Like if you go somewhere new, you just like, oh, maybe I'll see what Pokemon are here. Um, and the other thing is, like if you live in a city, like in a really big city, you're gonna find more Pokemon, which means you're probably gonna be playing more because they're always around you. Whereas I live in just the suburbs in Sydney. And there are just, there's one Pidgey and one Weedle near me. And that's it. Whereas if I was in the city, there'd be a ton of Pokemon Mm. like crawling all over me, which is just kind of one of those things. That's how the game works. But at the same time, it gets tiring for, for a lot of people, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I mean, I know people who are still playing it and they play every day and I'm sure there's going to be some for sure, but yeah, I mean, there are people I know that still go, well, it's it's Sunday afternoon. We got nothing else to do. Let's go for a walk. We'll walk <gasps> twice around the we'll walk twice around the lake, and then we'll sit down where the um where we can put an incense on a thing. We'll sit there for half an hour, have something to eat, and then we'll just go home. Like I did that with my friends a few times, and I think we ran into a guy who had been walking at the lake for like five hours. He's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a marathon runner, and I'm." <laughs> Two, two Magikarp away from evolving a Gyarados. It's like, wow, when did you start? Oh, about oh, five hours ago when I got here. It's like, oh, geez. You and know, like, all of these things you're saying don't mean anything to me. It's like you're, as I've said a few times, I'm not a Pokemon. I'm speaking French? Yeah, basically, that's what you're doing. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there are going to be people who, who, do, who do keep playing it, as there were people who were playing uh, uh, Ingress, back in the day and maybe they still do but uh it's oh, yeah ingress yeah. is still alive yeah anyway um so yeah at least it's it it was gonna peak of course it, it was ridiculous it, of course it wasn't gonna be the same amount of people that would keep playing for years i think that that was obvious but uh anyway mm. we'll see we'll see how it keeps evolving um nvidia has made that's that's something really interesting to me um basically they have a team that is tasked with showcasing the nvidia graphics hardware uh with games and they made basically a fallout for mod with uh, better graphics, a big mod with a specific quest line um, to showcase the power of their NVIDIA cards. And uh, I don't know, there's something really uh, surprising in the idea that a hardware developer would create a team for mod developing to take advantage of their graphics cards. It's it's cool somehow. I don't know. Yeah, it seems... I think in the eyes of some people that actually do mod, you know, Fallout and Skyrim and stuff, I think it may be a little bit cheating because it's like, you guys know how far you can push. Mm. No, you guys know how far you can push your own technology. We have to figure that out on ourselves. And like there are, there, there's a Skyrim mod. uh, I don't remember when it came out. I think it came out like recently or a few months ago that was bigger than Skyrim itself. And it, it was a, totally new story on a new continent it was basically a whole new game that a ton of people had worked on for like a while yeah yeah. and like they you know they must they take so much time to do it and then like at the same time you've got the businesses the nvidia specifically who's just like you know what 
see what you can do with the game. Like it runs mm. on our system and we want to see how how we can push our own system, but it also works for like we don't have to make our own engine. We don't have to make a custom engine to run stuff. We don't have to, you know, do up all these all this crazy stuff. We don't have to put in the development time to make the box, the sandbox to then stick our card in it. We just, you arrange the sand a little bit in someone else's sandbox, <laughs> then we'll stick our card in and see how it runs. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, it doesn't prevent anyone else from doing it. It's, it's just something extra for people who like Fallout 4. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's cool. I don't see the, the, I, I understand that maybe some mod developers are like, well, yeah, of course you can make it insane because you're paid or something, you know? But, yeah. Uh, the, this has no downside. That's the thing. Yeah. No, There's, I agree. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not doing anything bad in yeah. any way. Like they're not, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, PlayStation 4 Slim. It's, uh, we mentioned it uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and uh, it's been basically completely 100% leaked. It's been unboxed, reviewed, everything. And uh, we're expecting the, uh, the, the console to be announced on the 7th with the PlayStation Neo. That's uh, still the idea. I've seen a couple of comments though, sort of saying, oh, well, this is the same thing as uh, Microsoft is doing with the Xbox One S and the um, the Scorpio that's going to come out in 2017. And that entirely misses the, the point of this whole thing. Uh, yes, the Slim is kind of the same thing as the Xbox One S, but that is standard it always happens in in all uh, console cycles for you know the past 20 years that's not a surprise that there's a PlayStation 4 slim which is basically going to replace the existing model for the the next 4 or 5 years um wh what is different or we'll see i guess is what they do with the PlayStation Neo if they announce a release date that is a little bit closer than uh, sometime summer next year, which is when the Scorpio is going to come out. And if they give a, a retail price, which a, a few people, including myself, has be, have been saying is the key to making this an easier decision for customers, if they do reveal the, the retail price, then it's fine. You make your decision and hopefully it comes out in the not too distant future. The big issue with the Xbox One S and the, the Scorpio was that the S is available now and the Scorpio is available in a year for God knows how much. And for, so for some people, it makes it into a difficult proposition. Um, so I think that is what might make the PlayStation 4 Slim slash Neo um, different, not the fact that they have one base model and one more powerful model. That that you know is a similarity, but the different, the important difference is availability and price reveal. So I guess we'll have the answer on the seventh. But uh. yeah, when it comes to hardware, this is normal um, because you know as as time goes, you know processors get smaller and things get cheaper to make, and so they just reset the form factor, and so that you know if it's smaller and it's using less and it's using smaller parts, then it costs less to make. And so they can lower the price and it's the same, it's the same as, you know, graphics cards, 
the next graphic card comes out, the next graphic cards comes out. Instead, all they're doing is like, well, we can just shuffle around what's in here and make it out of slightly smaller parts. And then we can make it smaller, make it smaller, make it smaller. And there we go. Now we can sell it for a little bit less. So people don't feel as bad having to spend X amount. And I think the funniest thing, the funniest comment I've seen about this is someone was like, oh my God, finally, my PS4 is small enough. I can just put it in my pocket and walk away with it. And it's like, uh, no, it's not going to be that small. But if you think it is, uh, you're going to be a bit disappointed. <laughs> uh, slim is a type of jeans too. So maybe that's the reason. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, obviously when they've been making the, the device for four, four years, they have uh, uh, either the the processes and the cpus get you can print the same uh piece of silicon with a more thinness and that costs uh less obviously and it just i mean anyway we all know how these things work but uh, i guess we'll have to wait for the seventh and and see exactly what it is but that neo thing is the bigger question mark for me and uh we'll have to see how that goes um Overwatch is going to be free to play on consoles for uh, the weekend. It's uh, happening on the, is it the 8th? I can't remember. There's a weekend where Overwatch is going to be free to play on consoles. So if you want to try it, um, you can go and check it out. And that is on the uh, weekend of September 9th. So about a week away. So you can do that. And if you want to play with your friends, that might be a good uh, a good opportunity. Uh, season two has just started as well. So if you want to compete in the improved season two, you can do that too. Um, and finally, Actually, speaking, yeah, sorry, no, speaking ahead. of Overwatch, um, did you get many, did you participate in season one? Yes. Did you get more, um, I can't think of what they're called, the purple points than you were expecting from your rank? Uh, no, I don't think so. I got the number that they said they were going to okay, give. I didn't even check uh, because I, I know that I wasn't supposed to get uh, enough to buy a weapon, a oh, golden yeah. weapon anyway. So I didn't really check, I think. Yeah, I, I was about rank 45 and I was surprised that I got 20 points. I'm like, oh, that's, I was expecting like five or 10 because I was under the, the 50%, like under 50 and obviously, I didn't read any of the documents, but it was a nice surprise that I, I got more than I was expecting. So the 20 points are out of... Uh, how how expensive are the weapons? It's like 300. No, I think it's... Yes, 300. 300. 300 now, yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the thing about this is that uh, as bad as everyone felt, uh, it turned out that the player base was really... Uh, narrow in rank points they were like the majority of the player base was between uh, 40 and 60 uh, so they uh. had to make divisions that were really small like from 40 to 45 you got that much from 45 to 50 you got that much you know that kind of thing um and it, it that was one of the issues i think with the the competitive mode that they fixed now with the uh, season two and the different categories you know gold uh silver bronze all of this was giving you an idea of how good you were because as we mentioned being rank 45 doesn't feel particularly great or for me rank 49 50 is just like eh, whatever um but actually you were you know the example they gave was that at rank 60 you were in the top six percent of the players 
And yeah. clearly, rank 60 doesn't tell you top 6%. So I think that was the, no, the main issue there. I think it's the same as Hearthstone. Like, if you hit rank 10, you're in the top, like, yeah, 5%, 5%, yeah, 5% like of people that. in the game. And people look at it as, like, I'm at 10 of uh, whatever. 25, yeah. Yeah, it's like that doesn't feel great. And it's not expressly stated anywhere. Like, at the end of a season, it would be nice if it's like, hey, you well, hit X do. rank, you're in the top percentile. They like, do at the end of the season in uh, in Hearthstone, they do tell you you're in the top whatever percent at the end of your season. They okay. say it. Maybe you, you've you done it so much no, you I've, don't pay attention anymore. But, no, uh, I, I have not played Hearthstone in a little while, like okay. uh, specifically the competitive stuff. Yeah. I, so they do. And, and I think that was something that was really great. That is really great about Hearthstone is that you, they do combat that feeling of, oh, well, then that's crap. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that they have to find ways in Overwatch specific, specifically, but every competitive game to make you understand how not crap you are, because it, as we've discussed a few times, uh, you always feel like you're not very good. So, um. All right, uh, I think we're reaching about the end. Uh, quick mention that Deus Ex is out and available and getting pretty damn good reviews. So if you haven't uh, played it, or I mean, if you played the first one and you liked it, uh, the first reboot, of course, uh, and you liked it, then you might be interested in that one. Uh, we haven't played it, however, so we're not going to be spending too much time on that. Um, and before we get to Legion, I just want to mention that K King of Fighters 14 is out. And I I did talk about it quite a bit over the last few months. And I, I always feel like this is something uh, English audiences aren't really interested in. But I've gotten a few people contacting me and saying, actually, we love fighting games and we love, um, you know, Street Fighter and King of Fighters, the Japanese fighting games that are a little bit more technical than the American ones usually. Um, and and so, yeah, feel free to talk about it. So guess what? I'm gonna. And uh, just for a few minutes, uh, mention that it is, especially for me, it is an incredible joy of being able to get back to that series specifically uh, there is definitely some nostalgia going on i mean the game is good but i'm enjoying it a lot more because it reminds me of countless hours and evenings spent playing the the different iterations of king of fighters at a time when everyone was playing fighting games and that was the thing you would play um and it, it it that game specifically there have been other ones i mean king of fighters uh, 13 isn't isn't bad uh, but it's not quite the same style you can feel that it it went in a different direction uh artistic ar artistically and even to an extent uh, gameplay wise but the 14 it feels like what i was hoping for which is getting back to the original team the original spirit uh and yes the graphics aren't great they're better than when the game was originally introduced but they're really not they're re there's they're subpar for sure uh, but the gameplay is intact it is really good it's it's very tight um it feels like the king of fighters specific gameplay in the world of fighting games uh, however it's also 
somewhat accessible if you are a fighting game fan. Um, there are, I, I, I think I talked about it with uh, Jocelyn Moffat when she was on a few episodes ago. Stylistically, it's very engaging. There are, there's this kind of Japanese anime uh, uh, feeling of like power and, and anger when they shoot out their fireballs and their special moves. It, it feels very Japanese. Um, and if you are a fighting game fan, so I guess the question is, would I recommend it to someone who is not a fighting game fan? And I don't think I can. I think it's relatively approachable as a game, but if you're not a fighting game fan, if you've never been a fighting game fan, it is still, the, the joy of it is in the combo system and the complexity of the combo system. And it's kind of like recommending a, a driving game if you're not a driving game fan. You're obviously, I mean, probably not going to enjoy that experience because you're, you, you don't like the core uh, elements of gameplay. King of Fighters is a little bit like that as well. There are other games like uh, Mortal Kombat or even Street Fighter to an extent yeah. where... I was going to mention that like, if you want to get someone into a fighting game, you're probably better off showing them Mortal Kombat and being like, look at all the crazy, stupid things you can do with just a simple two-button press. Like, And then you can show them all the fatalities and all the really, not really complex, but more complex stuff. And then from there, they can, you know, move into other, more, like, learn more of the complicated combos and then be like, is there something more complicated that I can try? And then they can move to possibly King of Fighters after that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a good way of putting it. I mean, there are, uh, in, in things like uh, Injustice or Mortal Kombat, which are developed by the same teams, um, it's it there is joy beyond the fighting it's it's the craziness as you were saying the fatalities which are gruesome and these kind of things um and even in a game like uh tekken you know tekken if you're button mashing you do fun stuff it is extremely rewarding to be button mashing with certain characters in tekken you're gonna infuriate your friends who know how to play because you're gonna beat them <laughs> with yeah. with a, a few ridiculously random kicks and punches um in king of fighters not so much but the the and and tekken again is a very precise game as well if you want to play it like that king of fighters is much more pristine i would say it doesn't really have that kind of uh dirty button masher managing to do something but if when you manage to do something it feels like you've accomplished a, a, a lot more um than button mashing of course i mean i don't know there's a, a cleanliness to the design of king of fighters uh and a, a, a brilliancy to the the art of king of fighters which i'm really loving and there is a demo, I mentioned it, it there is a demo available um, on PlayStation 4. It's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Um, and it gives you a little bit of what the game is. It's only seven characters, so you're not going to get a lot. But uh, there are a few characters where you can, with whom you can get to certain uh, elements of it that are fun. But um, yeah, I, I'm really loving it. And uh, I hope that there are some people out there former fans and maybe new fans that are into video games period sorry into fighting games period that want to give this one a try because i really think it's worth it and i think i'm going to be playing it here and there uh, on a regular basis i i think it it succeeds 
in doing exactly what I was hoping uh, that it would do. And I'm ecstatic for it. So thank you, SNK. And I hope it's only the beginning of, uh, of the revival. We'll have a lot more in the coming years. Yeah. Um, and uh, now the last portion of the show, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, WoW Legion. So yeah, it's the the sixth expansion for World of Warcraft. Um, lots of hopes riding on that expansion with the content route for uh, the previous one. And um, so yeah, tell us what how do you feel about the game? It's only been out for a few days, but uh, I'm sure you have early impressions already. I love it. I there is just. It's given me the sense of the same as, as like when you start up a game like Far Cry uh, or like Assassin's Creed and you look at the map and you just see the entire map covered in dots and it's like, oh gosh, there's a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> oh boy, there's a lot of things to, to, to see. Uh, that's the feeling that I get with Legion. It's like, I want to look, I want to go through every zone. I want to see everything. I want to do all the raids. I want to do all the dungeons. I want to get all the toys and mounts and everything. And it's just like, there is so much and it's going to be great. Um, I believe this expansion was the expansion everyone wanted instead of Mists of Pandaria. And I hope that people are happy with it because prior to mists um actually being launched like actually being revealed a lot of people a lot of the buzz was you know we're going to be playing as a demon um or it could be the emerald dream uh that was also the point where the dark below was patented by activision copyright and so people were like oh copyrighted that's right and everyone's like, oh, that's the next expansion. And it's like, well, that actually turned out to be a, an expansion for Destiny. And people were like, the Dark Below, so it has to do with the dwarves, which means Magni's coming out of the crystal and all this. And it's like, every single thing that I heard people say back then, that's this expansion. That's, that's interesting, actually. I never really made the, the connection. I thought that uh, Mists of Pandaria was was an amazing expansion but then again i i worked for the company at the time so maybe oh, I, I was loved, biased but i yeah. loved that expansion a lot of people did uh, visually it looked the best and story wise it was great up until the very end when mm. same as every expansion everyone just gets bored of doing the same raid over and over again yeah. um which i i don't like that that sours an entire expansion for people it's like, do you not, like, yes, of course, you don't like this raid. Do you remember leveling? Do you remember, you know, seeing yeah. everything in this world? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? Yes, but no, I hate this expansion because I had to do <laughs> Siege of Warcraft for a year. It's like, well, then clearly you do not like the World of Warcraft. Yeah. You just like raiding and you just want more raids and more raids and more raids. And well, I guess I there mean, are people I, like that, but I guess- at the same time, you need to enjoy the leveling process. And seeing everything for the first time. And don't let the end of an expansion ruin the rest of it. Uh, well, so. Yeah, I, I agree with, with the sentiment for sure. Uh, I think there is validity to the idea that 
when you have a content route which is as long as the one we had in in Mists of Pandaria or even worse the one in Warlords of Draenor um it's legitimate to say well there's nothing left to do still doing it and complaining that you're still doing it feels a little bit silly i would admit admit to that uh you can just stop playing i guess is my is my answer but that's also not a great solution for a, a game company and for the game's uh, health as a whole um but certainly i agree that it does sour people on on other things and the problems with uh, Mists of Pandaria was that people were fixated on pandas and and sort of decided that was dumb uh but then they realized when the expansion actually came out and they were playing it they realized how it's pandas is still a little bit out of place i would say in in the game well they um, they were originally in Warcraft 3 of course, of course, but it they was... existed in the universe, which a they lot of people did. didn't actually realize. A lot of people were like oh, Kung Fu Panda, blah blah blah. It's BS. Of course. But people, and but then people are just like, do you not remember playing that? Do you not remember playing Chen in Warcraft Three? Do you not remember seeing the Pandaren in that sort of in that game? They do exist in this world. There's not much reference to them before Mists, but they're fully fleshed. It wasn't just Oh, I guess we'll just go with, I don't know, Panda and make it work on no, two legs. No, I agree. I agree. I, I agree. But it, it's still, I mean, I can understand how people would feel they feel out of place. Um, but, I mean, bottom line, I thought Mists was a beautiful expansion. I loved it. Uh, there was issues, there were issues with content drought at the end and content drought at the end of, of Warlords. And all of that is absolutely true. Um now, getting back to uh, Legion itself, I, I, honestly, I think uh, I was I had high high hopes for the expansion. I, everything I had seen made me think that it would be a really good one. Uh, I don't think I was expecting to to have such a good time in at least as as we were saying the first four days uh, of the expansion. The a couple of things. I think the first uh, element, which is making me have so much fun, is the, the that principle that they've uh, talked about, which is going back to the fantasy of the class. And we've we've experienced it with the gameplay and the gameplay revamp for every class that uh, we saw with the Legion pre-patch. Um, the other thing is... That doesn't apply, I mean, what I was going to say is it doesn't only apply to the gameplay, and that's what I didn't realize. The order holes feel awesome, and the yes. uh, the, the artifact quests, your special weapon quests, uh, they're not all fantastic, they're all good, but some of them are fantastic. And yes. it feels so, for some, I don't know why, but it feels so uh engaging i think that's the right word it feels so engaging to have that experience as your class as opposed to the regular quests which are fun as well but the regular quests which are um uh, which everyone is going to experience and i understand why they didn't do that before i think their reasoning was absolutely valid the idea that if you spend a lot of time doing a specific thing for one specific quest, uh, I'm sorry, for one specific uh, class, it means only a twelfth of your player base is going to experience it. Maybe a little bit more because people have multiple characters, and maybe they're going to level all of you know a few of them to through that. But 
only a part of your uh, player base is going to experience it. So we we would rather is there was their uh, philosophy. We would rather spend uh, time developing something that everyone is going to experience and make that awesome. I get that. However, the fact that they decided to throw that out the window with this expansion, which is heavily based on a lot of content for a specific class, is a, a ginormous success. And I didn't expect it to be as fun and engaging uh, in the way it is. Um, so how yeah, many, that, that would be the first thing. I, I have a second thing afterwards, but uh, yeah, go ahead. How many artifacts have you collected? I have uh, the four on my druid and uh, one on my mage. So I only, I, I'm focusing on the druid. I'm level 109 at the moment. Uh, the mage has only just gotten uh, his artifact. Um, but the yep. mage quest, the mage artifact quest was super good. And two of the four uh, druid quests were super good. Uh, I guess two or three and one was okay. Uh, yeah, now I I have four artifacts so far. I've done all three Hunter and I've done the Brewmaster Monk because he's kind of my second alt main. Um, because I mostly identify with the Beastmaster spec and I've played it for so long, doing that quest line was just unbelievable. The, the quest line itself was so... It was just fun and it was was awesome and it was really funny, especially. Um you you go from your class hall to um Don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Into a vault and then you <laughs> have to go find um the weapon itself elsewhere. And the from the lore of the weapon, um it gets it's really funny because a lot of the characters for some reason think the the dwarf that's with you is Bran Bronzebeard and multiple times they're like oh look it's Bran and he turns around and he's like i'm not Bran stop <laughs> calling me that yeah and I, after after like the fifth time i'm just like laughing to myself and then eventually he's like i'm not you know what i'm Bran i don't care call me Bran and he just gives up and he's like and i was laughing so much um there are there are a few oh sorry go ahead some of the quest lines are light and funny like the beast mastery one but then you've got some of them like the marksman and survival ones are a little darker and a little more serious so they've struck a balance i guess with some of the classes and they've they've kind of made a class fantasy and then either kind of gone lighter or darker with the storyline, I guess. Um, I'm not really sure because the brewmaster one was a bit of both. It was a little bit funny, but it was also mm. a little dark. Um, I think, I think a lot of, uh, I mean, a couple of things that you said really reson- resonate with me as well. The, the fact that you identify with your class because you've been playing it for probably, you know, multiple years, whoever you are. Since at this Cataclysm. Point. Yeah, well, for you, but I mean, any player is yep. going to have played it for for a while, uh, and so since you identify with it so much, the 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 fact that they're sort of stroking your your class attributes that sounds wrong, um, sort of makes it even more uh, uh, joyful than if it was just they were talking to everyone. It feels like they're talking to you specifically in a different way 
than they were in Warlords, where they also put you in the center of the story and made you the commander of this uh, assault and all of this. That that still felt like it was it was targeted at everyone. This feels like it's targeted to a portion of everyone, obviously that class and that um, that spec. So it feels a lot more personal. So that definitely uh, speaks yeah. to me. And I think it explains a little bit of why it feels so uh, powerful in that experience. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a question for you. Have you looked at who you can eventually get in your class hall as a uh, champion? Yeah. For I've your looked, character? Yeah. There, there are a few names that made me smile. I'm not going to say who, but... There are a few names that are really fun, yeah. The first, I can say this for the monk specific because it's the first two you get, Chen and Lili. As soon as I walked in there, they were like, we need to get some, um, we need to get some people to help you. And I'm like, okay, it's probably just going to be two random people. And it was like, well, Chen's over there half asleep and Lili's over there drinking. And I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I was like, I was so happy. And for hunters, uh, there's a named person that yeah, don't, we don't. dealt with yeah, a yeah. fair bit in Warlords that comes back, and it's really cool. And the class halls themselves are just spot on. They look so great, and the flavor for them is great. As a hunter, I realized how much of an idiot I was. I was taking the flight path from Dalaran to the class hall when... Uh, on the opposite side of the circle, there's a person standing there with a giant eagle next to them. If you talk to that person, it's just a load screen straight to your class mm. hall with no flying time. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did I not realize this, like, <laughs> the, the, four levels ago? <laughs> the class halls are really uh, participate in that fantasy as well. I think you're you're very right in that. Uh, at least the, the two I've seen. It again strokes your class ego and 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 makes you feel special, which is is what you want when you're playing a game like this. You want to be made to to, to be made to feel like you are the person the game is talking to, uh, and all of this succeeds. And and the 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 class whole for druids is. Lovely. And, you know, I, I was, I'm sure it's going to wear off, but druids are all about natures and, and nature and, and small animals. And, and now, you know, I see, uh, 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 oh, what's the name of those, uh, like the centaur, female centaur. Um, oh my God, Lunara and the other one. Lunara from Heroes. Yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, centaurs, God. aren't they? No, but oh, the, the, the male, the centaurs are male and they're, oh God, okay, someone is going to yell at me on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I'm like, they're laughing and, and, and I'm like, oh yeah, flowers and, and small animals. It's amazing. And you yeah. know, it's like, it, it fills the, the class fantasy so well. Um, and so, when I first and, landed in the, sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, in the hunter class hall, a lot of the legendary, like, epic loot and legendary the legendary bow are actually on the wall there are a whole bunch of like animal pelts and like the head of animals that have been killed but on the left hand side of the class hall on the wall you can actually hover your mouse over it and it'll show a thing and it actually has um uh thoradal on the wall all right and like 
the legendary bow and like it's got a whole bunch of other ones like a whole bunch of other guns and bows just kind of on the wall that you can hover over and it will tell you the name of the item which uh, is really really cool they're they're dryads that's the dryads. name it's looking for um yeah so basically the the class holes are are really successful and but that's again that's only one part of the game um and I feel like when you were saying, you know, there's lots of things that you want to try, there are many different parts of uh, the game that feel very fresh and plentiful. And and it's like you're in a candy shop and you, you're eating all the candy and there's always more. Um, the, the main portion of the leveling experience, I started with a zone called uh, Valshara and that was incredible. I mean, it's probably the best leveling zone i've played in the entire game like from 12 years it's the other ones are are really good as well uh, but yeah in I, every I, zone, I personally i personally started in high mountain i haven't actually gone through valshara yet um okay I started no in spoilers high no spoilers i haven't done it yet so i will oh, no, come no, no, to, no, Aus- to australia and slap you if you spoil anything just no no no. all i was gonna say is the tauren in high mountain are wonderful um, there's a, a specific Torrin who's a storyteller and I was standing there in front of him and I noticed that his horns were two different colors. I was like, oh, that's weird. The, the light's going a bit funny on them. But then I actually zoomed in. His horns were carved in such a way and it, it looked like they like he'd painted a pattern on them in like a darker color. And I was like, wow, I would yeah. never have noticed that. Because he it's, had, like, the giant horns. Um, there are so many toys everywhere. Have you found a ton of them? <laughs> I found a few of them. But, I mean, it, it speaks to what you're saying. It speaks to the attention to detail that they've put everywhere. And the, it's, it, the, the entire quests for each zone takes you through... I mean, there is an epicness in the adventures that you live through that... I don't think we've seen in 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 that way in any other expansion. It feels like major stuff is happening everywhere yes. all the time. And they're using a lot more cutscenes as well. Yeah. Like actual yeah. like hard cutscenes. Rendered, yeah. Yeah. Which it's, is really really cool that they can just kind of throw in like a 30 second cutscene that makes it feel yeah. a lot uh I don't even know what the word is. It, it feels a lot nicer than just having two NPCs stand there yeah. talking and you can just kind of run around in circles. Yeah. So, clearly. yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, there are, uh, uh, the, the last thing I want to say is how beautiful the world looks. It they, oh, They've yes. always had the stylized uh, elements to the game that made it feel you know, artistically uh, competent and even more than that. But for some reason, there haven't been as memorable zones in the game for a while, I, I, I think. Uh, the, the, the elements, the, the, you know, landscape elements in some of those zones, I'm thinking about um, uh, ugh, the, the one uh, Stormheim. Some of the gameplay, the the geography elements in Stormheim are majestic. I mean, you look at them and you're yes. in awe. 
You know, it reminded yes. me of that, that feeling when I, I came, I played a dwarf for the first time or whatever, and I came across that, uh, that view of Ironforge carved in the mountain, you know? Yes. And I looked at this and I was like, oh my God, this is a, f you know, fantasy world. And I'm seeing things that don't exist, but I'm still seeing them and they're wonderful. And this yes. made me feel like that. Yeah, it, that actually happened with me as well in uh, the zone that you just mentioned. Um, Stormheim? Like, yeah, I had to go across this bridge and I was running towards the bridge and then there was like, because it's really foggy, the fog started to clear and across the bridge, across a field was a giant mountain. I'm like, okay, there's the mountain. That's where I got to go. And then I realized, oh, the the mountain has been carved into and it kind it's like... I, um, it looked like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. And I actually stopped and I was looking at it for like <laughs> a couple of minutes. Like, wow, it looks really cool. I'm like, wait, why don't I just go over there and have a better look? And so that's what I did. I literally just rode past the, MP like past all the quest NPCs. Yeah. And I just looked at it. Cause I'm like, this looks really cool. Um, it's the same with, with high mountain. Um, the, the main, uh, where all the torrents are in their giant again don't uh, describe anything city. i just want to i just want to discover it don't the say. city itself is brilliant okay it That's just looks a lot of the stuff like almost everything is look, looks awesome um yeah uh have you have you read the uh the achievement names for the for questing in every area no i haven't i haven't I, i've read a few of them the ones that i did which are incredibly funny Yes, there's Ain't No Mountain High Enough for High Mountain. Uh, I think Azuna is Azuna Matata. Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. I don't even remember the other ones. Yeah. It's, But, it's just yeah. silly. It's almost dad jokes, which is pretty much kind of funny. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I, was, I flew from Dalaran to, uh, I think it was Stormheim, and I flew over uh, Suramar, which is the last zone, And again, there, there's a feeling of fantasy that for some reason hasn't been as strong in previous expansions. It, it, you go over this immense city, which is bigger than a capital city for, you know, for your, your faction. Um, but, and you know that at some point you're going to be able to go down there and all of those, tiny places that you're looking at from very high up you're going to be walking around in them and discovering what is where and and of course you know yeah. after three months it's all going to be just numbers and you know quests that you have to click and and go there to fill up your bars but yeah. there is this magic for the first few weeks after the release of an expansion that is really unparalleled and and in with this one it seems that they ha have done something really special really special yeah especially flying from dalaran it's like do i want to look ahead and watch the zone like the top of the zone kind of take shape as i fly or do i want to look down and look at everything like yeah, i want to yeah. do both but i can't you have to either look forward <laughs> just and go see back and everything forth. there exactly yeah um uh Yeah, there's so much stuff. Like, once I hit max level, I don't even care about dungeons. I want to hit max level so I can do archaeology, so I can do my leatherworking <laughs> stuff. I want to get all the artifact weapons across all seven of my alts. Like, I want to do all of it. 
And I'm just yeah, like those those artifact weapons and the class mm -hmm. holes makes you want to play through all of it. Like I want to find out what happens with all of these different classes. Like how do they yeah. realize the fantasy of the priest and of the death knight and of the demon hunter and all of those. Yeah. And uh Yeah, and a lot of the story elements too. It's like how does this artifact weapon have a story to it? Like mm. like Ashbringer. Which yeah, is kind of, course, of the this one is most there. obvious one. It's yeah. like how how do how how do you get Ashbringer? I mean, mm. everyone knows what happened previously before Legion, and it's like, well, where's Ashbringer now? <laughs> um, yeah, so it 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 is really. I mean, for the first week or so, and, and there are you know quest lines for professions, and there there's we're, we've only talked about I don't know a, a third of what there is to do in this in this thing, but we haven't even mentioned world quests. Yeah, there, there's, <laughs> or once there's, you hit one ten, like yeah, there's exactly, so much to exactly. do before you hit one ten <laughs> that you don't even need to worry about one ten until you get there. Yeah, and even once you're there, it's like I've still got other stuff I need to do. There's exactly. plenty of quests and looking in every zone. And actually, the first archaeology dig that I found, I got just enough to make one artifact, one um, archaeology item. The first one I made was uh, pristine. And I was like, I got to do more archaeology now. I got to do more. Because <laughs> the pristine, uh, the the ones that in the archaeology building in Dalaran, there are a whole bunch of um, shelves. And you actually... Like in your garrison, you had that room to put them. There's now a whole bunch of shelves that you can put them up in Dalaran, in mm. the archaeology building, which nice. is really, really cool. Um, the only thing is that archaeology is a lot smaller now. Um, like the zone, the area that you dig in is a lot smaller, but most of the um, artifacts that you'd make need more, um, more pieces to them. And each small area can be dug nine times instead of six, which is helpful. But in saying that there's only like 10 things per faction or actually less than that. And there's three uh, factions in archeology. span So they've kind of streamlined it a lot, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. I think they have streamlined a lot of, of a, a lot of the things really. I mean, it, it applies to professions. It applies to pretty much everything. Um, so, I mean, uh, clearly we could talk about this for hours, but I want to bring this to a close and just saying that obviously I think it's pretty clear we are very much enjoying this expansion. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last, how long the honeymoon is going to last, but looking at it from here, I really think that there. this is, I mean... This is, for me, the best beginning of an expansion, I think, almost ever. My favorite expansion yes. before that might have been Wrath of Lich King, I think. Uh, this one, I feel like it's hard to remember, but I feel like I'm enjoying it even more. So, yeah. for me, this is, this is a, a, a great success, uh, but I guess we'll see. I, I hope we get some sort of numbers from the company to gauge the success of the game. I, I know they don't release subscriber numbers anymore. Um, but if the, 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 the people who have played the game, if the players, uh, I mean, if the expansion gets the success it deserves for this early experience, I think the numbers should go up significantly, uh, which obviously yeah. they would because, you know, they've been dipping a lot, but, uh, 
Yeah. In six from, six months from now, I would love Blizzard to release a stat that is X number of artifact weapons acquired <laughs> by the players. Yeah. Like, how, how many people have multiple alts and each of the specs? It's like, we have... 8 million players, but there's a hundred million artifact weapons in the wild now. And it's like, <laughs> that would be, yeah. Holy crap. Everyone's playing everything. It would like, be interesting because would- it, it would be vague enough that you couldn't deduct the number of, uh, of actual active subscribers. Um, but it would still give you an idea of the, the, the popularity of the thing. So, yeah. I mean, we, we have four artifact weapons each, and and I'm sure you know the average is going to be in six months somewhere around four probably. Yeah. Um, well, so. I have I have seven alts, yeah. and I think I want more than one artifact weapon on each of them, and I think <laughs> I'm just going to do all of the quests for all of them anyway. Um, yeah. so, so I'm going to have a lot of artifact weapons. Um, yeah. But that, the one thing I wanted fun. to mention, the one thing I wanted to mention is take the Pandaren mindset to this expansion and just slow down. Don't rush you don't need to rush to 110 just to unless you're one of those bleeding edge raiders who has to be 110 and fully geared for when raiding starts like my co-host cinder she has she's taken some time off work to actually hit 110 and i think she's already 110 by now um and she's like she has to be ready to raid in in like i think two or three weeks and so if that's what you're doing do that but if you're not just take your time we've yeah, got I, who I knows how long till the next expansion so <laughs> take your time and just space it out unless there's something you really really want to get like me and the uh the moose from archaeology just it can wait i actually um met someone in the game a few days ago uh that was on their second character um and we started you know we grouped to speed up the quests and he was going so quickly uh and at some point i was like hey so you're going really fast are you racing to 110 and he said yeah this is my second character i'm raiding so i have to get really quickly and i was like all right well i'm i'm reading the quests so you know, maybe we, I, I'm going to ungroup because I'm going to slow you down. And he was like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I don't even read anything. I just, I have to go there so fast. And I understand that some people play like that and it's, it's fine. It's just, I feel like they're missing so much of what makes this game uh, a great game. I, I can't help but feel like this is too bad for them. You know, I feel, I feel bad for and they're getting what they want out of the game, so I'm not, you know, trying to. But it's still so. It's still a bit sad that they're not experiencing the 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 majesty of some of what the yeah. game has to offer. So, well, I would definitely echo thing. your your recommendation. They they might be one of those people that charges through, gets to one ten, and is raiding like crazy. But then, as soon as there's downtime, they're like, okay, now I'm going to go back to my you know, my character who's on a different server, who has nothing to do mm. with the rating I do. And I'm just going to go through and look at the zones. They're, yeah. Like they're, it's a way to do that. Like I know people that um, like race through a game on easy mode and then go back and just grind through it on hard. And then when they play through it on hard, that's when they learn the story because mm. they have to go through it slower. And yeah. it's like, well, that's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, but sure. like, yeah, in the end, they see what they want to see. 
hopefully everybody gets a lot out of this expansion. Um, yeah, that's that's really yeah. about it. Just I'll, have fun. I'll be I'll be very uh, curious to see what how well it holds up at Endgame. Now that's you know the first half of the contract is is successfully uh, fulfilled, and the second half is Endgame, and I'm really curious to see how well it holds up uh it seems like yeah. they have a good a, a good couple of things going but we'll we'll see i'm sure this is not the last time we'll uh talk about wow legion in this show um although i you know i do try to keep it to a reasonable amount because this is not about a show about blizzard games but um they just i just love those games they have some magic sauce that that i like so there you go um anyway that's gonna be it for the show uh thank you so much jake for for being on why don't you tell people where they can get more of what you have to offer uh especially on wow well i do a podcast myself uh the reigns of azeroth it mainly started out of wanting to do a podcast about mounts and uh in under 30 episodes we covered every mount in the game and now we're moving, we've moved on. We're covering uh, toys and achievements. And uh, this next episode is going to be on archaeology, which is why I'm so, like, so hung up on it because I, a lot of the archaeology stuff is just really cool. Um, a lot of people overlook the profession, but I enjoy it. Um, uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, the, the show is at Reigns of Azeroth. I'm on Twitter at Spaz Wesson. Um, that's about it, really. Uh, actually, we do stream our episodes live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Reigns of Azeroth. Um, I try, I'm trying to do other things on that channel as well, like me doing mount runs and stuff, but uh, with Legion out, uh, I probably won't be doing many mount <laughs> You're runs. You're a little bit busy. Um, that's understandable. Well, I mean, I'm... Jeez, oh, I don't even know how many mounts I have. Two hundred plus. So <laughs> there's not that many more mounts I can get right. uh, just by running raids. Like I've got Memoron's head. I've got Invincible. Um, actually, speaking of Memoron's head, you actually get to ride Memoron's head during the Beast Mastery uh, quest, which is really yeah. Funny. We didn't mention how they they take you in in the old world, and I mean, yeah. Again, there's so much we could have mentioned, but um, yes. All right. Okay, cool. So uh, Spaz Wesson on Twitter, uh, that link will be in the show notes, and I'm sure you can get to everything from there. Uh, for me, it is not Patrick on Twitter, and of course, the show is available at frenchspin.com. Uh, you can find uh, another show there called The Phileas Club, where we cover actually serious topics like uh, world news and world events and uh, we do that in a fun way hopefully you will enjoy it the last one was about the burkini ban in yes, france i enjoy oh you did thank you I, very much yes i enjoy i enjoy the show i i enjoyed that episode i yeah it, it's it's an interesting topic let's let's leave it to that yeah. um and uh and of course well i guess that's it and we will be back in a couple of ye weeks not years and uh by then we will have the uh details on the playstation neo and maybe even well i guess we'll have news from the tokyo game show maybe not the nx but maybe yes so we'll have to wait and see talk to you then bye
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.